Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. General Robert E. Lee embodied the Confederate cause for four years, and while the appropriateness of physical monuments to Lee has become a matter of public controversy, there is no question of his centrality to any understanding of the Civil War in Virginia. Douglas Southall Freeman's magisterial four-volume biography remains the literary gold standard for Lee's studies, but much information has emerged in the decades since Freeman wrote, and now students of the war have a new tool that will be indispensable to any future writing about Lee. It's called From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War, Day by Day, 1861 to 1865, and we'll talk with its author, Charles R. Knight, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you tonight from Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters on the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But not representing the university, not speaking for the university, they don't even know I'm here tonight. And likewise, my guest will speak only for himself, as we always do here at Civil War Talk Radio, where we began talking with you uh, back in 2004, some uh, 17 years ago, shortly after moving to Greenville from Fort Wayne, Indiana. At that time, my older daughter Caroline was playing on the Greenville Stars U13 soccer team. Uh, Some of you have been listening a long time, remember getting the weekly scoring updates as the Greenville Stars attempted season after season to win a game, or maybe two. Uh, And uh, tonight I'm saying happy birthday to Caroline, who is no longer on the U13 team. She is now on eligible as of today to play on the 30-year-old team. Uh, So time has flown by, and 
within uh, not too many more months, she will be Dr. Prokopovich uh, when she gets her MD, uh, another year away perhaps. So uh, it's a, a landmark. Uh, turning 30 is a big deal for anyone. Uh, here at ECU, it's uh, approaching Thanksgiving break. It's the November 17th of 2021. Uh, we had our bi-weekly payday lunch, uh, pay-as-you-go. The, the taxpayers don't foot the bill for that, but we meet somewhere and buy ourselves lunch and, and talk. Some of the faculty do this. And hearing uh, the, our new chair, who I think is doing a great job, very glad she was willing to step up and take that position, but hearing her talk about all the things uh, she has to face, the and, uh, an external program review, a college resource committee, there's, there's so much going on. Really glad not to be uh, acting as department chair anymore, and actually glad to be at ECU these days because our football team won again last week, upsetting Memphis on their home field. This week, ECU plays Navy, and of course, there won't be a live show of Civil War Talk Radio next week. It'll be Thanksgiving week, so this is my last uh, chat with you before both this weekend's game and the following week when ECU is scheduled to play Cincinnati on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, Cincinnati is undefeated. They're trying to break into the elite top four playoffs, even though they're not in one of the top five conferences. Uh, Unless they have a terrible week this weekend, they will be the highest ranked team ever to come to Greenville. And uh, if they were to beat ECU and somehow make it into the playoffs, then the whole conference would share in the TV revenue. It would be a good thing for, for ECU in some ways. But if ECU were to upset Cincinnati on national TV, uh, the fans would storm the field, I predict. And I would be among them. I plan to be at that game. So if you're watching next Friday, eating leftovers, watching the 3.30 game on ABC, it'll be on national television. I'll be in Section 2. I'll be wearing something purple, so you'll be able to identify me by that. Although 40,000 others of us may be doing the same thing. Uh, should be fun. Looking forward to it. Also looking forward to coming back after Thanksgiving on December 1st with our last couple shows of the fall season. Caroline Janey returns to Civil War Talk Radio with her new book, Ends of War, The Unfinished Fight of Lee's Army After Appomattox. And we finish up the season on December 8th with Deborah Willis in her book, The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. You can find out about those, as always, at www.impedimentsofwar.org, where Mark Gaffney tells us what's going on, who's going to be on next, and also presents a series of links where you can buy the books that you're hearing about on the show, including tonight's book. Uh, Your purchases there support that website. And you can also click on the PayPal button that's there and donate to CivilWarTR at AOL.com. It's the Civil War Talk Radio book and slush fund used for whatever uh, I might want to do. For example, lunch with other faculty. But I will say this week, one of the things we talked about was a new uh, fund, a scholarship fund our department just created for graduate students to try to make our program more accessible, attract people who might not otherwise have thought about grad school. And the chair asked the faculty if we would you know, set the example by contributing to this before we ask our alumni and friends. 
So I went ahead and pledged the last two months of donations to Civil War Talk Radio uh, to that scholarship fund, and I'll match that amount out of my own pocket with my own funds. So I'd like to thank all of you who have contributed to Civil War Talk Radio for helping make possible the study of history at ECU possible for some young people in the future. You've uh, contributed to a, a worthy cause to this graduate scholarship fund, and I hope people will continue to contribute. The luck of the draw is, is what it is. You may give money and it turns out to go to a worthy fund like that, or I may just buy another bottle of bourbon with it. You don't know. Uh, that's part of the fun of donating in this case. In any case, it's not tax deductible. Don't forget that. It's it's uh, all want to be on the up and up. It's it's just a fund. Uh, one more bit of business. I got an email from a literary publicist uh, this morning promoting a historical novel. And if any of my students in History 3121 are listening in, a novel is a work of fiction. Uh, students today use the word novel and the word book interchangeably, i found. It, it drives me crazy. Uh, they, they seem to have no understanding that a novel is a particular kind of book. Um, a novel is not history, and when they're writing a book review for, for an assignment, it's not a novel that they're reading. And it's not a novel that we're talking about on Civil War Talk Radio. We have talked to novelists in the past. Jeff Shar has been on, John Jakes has been on. But those are rare exceptions, and what I told the publicist this morning and what I tell anyone who writes asking if they can have their author friend who's just written a historical novel be on this show is that there is so much good history being published uh, that we can't possibly keep up with it, and broadening the field to include historical fiction would just be going uh, just too far. I have a hard enough time remembering all the brigade commanders at Gettysburg or when my daughter's birthday is, and to risk using valuable brain cells on fictional characters, I, I just can't spare it. So even though I know there's plenty of good historical fiction being written, or at least I imagine there must be, uh, we're, we're not generally not going there on Civil War talk radio. I hope that is uh, satisfactory to you, uh, as a listener that we're sticking with historical nonfiction, but uh, that's my that's my policy, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, tonight, there's no question about the line between fiction and nonfiction. Our guest Charles R. Knight has been on the show before. Uh, we've talked about the uh, campaigns in the Shenandoah Valley with him, and tonight he's back with a new and I believe very large book uh, called. From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War Day by Day, 1861 to 1865. Charlie, are you there? I am here. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Always glad to be here. So uh, I, I said uh, uh, I imagine that the book is a large book uh, because I've never actually seen the book. This, as is becoming increasingly the case, is something where uh, your publisher sends out a review uh, electronic file rather than the physical book. So I've, I've been reading it on my computer screen these last few days, but I've never actually held it in my hand. Uh, just how big is 365 days, four days, four years, times four years? How, how big is, is the book physically? 
that's a good question. I think it's somewhere around 600 pages. Let me look and see here. It is 558 pages, and it's, uh, I don't know what the measurements are, but it's what it's bigger than, uh, it's not a quarto, but it's bigger than whatever, you know, your normal size uh, book is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, so- it's, it's pretty hefty. It, it's uh, it, it's it's a good chunk there. Um, actually, before going any further, I, I did want to ask you um, when you were on a couple of years ago, and I say a couple, it was, it was more like ten. Uh, I asked yeah. you about your day job, which at that time was at the MacArthur uh, Museum or Shrine or, or whatever it is called up in North Memorial, right? Memorial. Right. Um, but I, according to the 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 blurb on the book, you're now living in North Carolina. Uh, are you still doing something history related? What what's what's your day day occupation? Yes, I am still in the museum field. I am the military history curator at the North Carolina Museum of History in Raleigh. Oh, wonderful! Uh, that uh, how long have you been there? Five years almost now. Okay, thing it, it, I take my uh, undergraduate public history introduction class to the Museum of History when, when I teach that class and uh, haven't done it in a few years. I was scheduled to do it and then the pandemic interrupted that so we didn't do a field trip. But we've always done field trips to Museum of History and the staff there has been great about taking the students backstage and they see where the collections, you know, they see collection storage and sometimes they'll bring us some of the flags, the, the, the Confederate battle flags and uh, some of the magnificent things that you, you you have there that the public doesn't see every day, and uh, I really hope uh, we get to do that again soon, and and uh, I'll be able to take my students, and, and you and I can uh, can can have a chat about the public history world there. Uh, yeah, how absolutely. is the how is the museum doing? Given given that we're easing back toward normal, but not quite there yet. Yeah, uh, our attendance, you know, it definitely, you know, took a nosedive there uh, due to due to COVID. We had to close for a few months, and then mm-hmm. uh, we opened back up. Uh, it's probably been about a year, a little bit more than a year, I guess. We've been open back up to the public, and it's it's slowly been uh, been going back up. We're still not back to uh, pre uh, shutdown levels, but yeah, it's 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 starting to come back around. We're starting to see uh, field trips again. So yeah, hopefully before too long, we'll be we'll be back to normal. Well, that, that's good to hear, and I, I hope I'll be able to bring my students there before too long. So, uh, when I was at the Lincoln Museum of Fort Wayne, Indiana, I recall using the, the three-volume set Lincoln Day by Day almost every day. It was such a useful reference, and your Lee Day by Day looks like it will be equally useful, but the Lincoln volume took years for a team to put together, and you did this by yourself. How long did this take? Yeah. Uh, off and on is research for about eight years. So the I, I, I'm sort of close to being short of words here, um, but I, I guess I'll take the approach that, that your publisher, Ted Savas, uh, uh, took. In, in, well, let me put it this way. What were you thinking to, to think that, that you could uh, to put together something of this, this incredible scope? It, it, this project was Ted's idea, and uh, uh-huh. he was 
you know, when he, when he first approached me about it, I was, you know, my initial reaction was, yeah, how hard can it be? You know, it's, you know, just <laughs> look at, uh, you know, take Freeman as the, uh, you know, the backbone there and just branch out, you know, fill in the gaps in Freeman with, uh, you know, Walter Taylor's book and, uh, Charles Marshall and Armistead Long and, you know, and, uh, uh, look at some of the top lieutenants, you know, Longstreet, Early, you know, the, the guys that wrote their memoirs, you know, I, I figured, you know, I, I, you know, this won't be a very difficult project. Well, yeah, that was, <laughs> that, uh, that was proven wrong very quickly. It, 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 I mean, it really is a, a, an enormous undertaking uh, to do something like this. So eight years off and on, how, how did you approach it strategically? I've, I can't remember for sure now, but I, I think the first thing that I tackled was uh, uh, Clifford Dowdy's, uh, you know, the, the wartime papers of Lee, that big uh, single volume thing that came out back during the centennial. I think that was the first thing that I started with, going through that and just, uh, you know, keeping a, a running uh, document of notes there, literally just whenever I could find anything that happened on a specific date, anything that I could attach a specific date to during the war, I just kept this, this running tally of notes. And that when that was done, that wound up being, I think, around 650 pages of notes. Uh, but uh, yeah, working with uh, with Lee's own papers is where I started. And then, at least I think that's where I started. And then from there, uh, got into uh, to Freeman doing the same thing, trying to find anything that I could pin down to a date. And uh, then just, uh, you know, going through anything and everything that... Uh, primary and secondary, published, not published, whatever, that, uh, that had any mention of Lee and just uh, adding to this uh, lengthy uh, notes as I went along. Well, I, it, it's, it is a, a monumental undertaking and, and uh, fascinating to read, I will say. Uh, we're going to take a short break, come back and talk more about both the process of, of what you did and how it came out and what we can learn from this book, which is called From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War Day by Day, 1861 to 1865. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. We're talking with the book's author, Charles R. Knight, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking this evening with Charlie Knight, who is the author of From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War, Day by Day, 1861 to 1865. It follows uh, what it says on the label, uh, Robert E. Lee's Footsteps Through the War, uh, an entry for each day from 1861 to 1865. So, Charlie, I'm really curious about the, the production process for a, a research project like this did you what what tools in terms of, of note taking did you use did any particular software or old school three by five cards uh, how did you keep this together no I just opened up a, a word document and just uh, went through uh, chronologically you know whenever I could uh, find a date you know put an entry in there for that date and uh, some days, you know, obviously took up uh, several pages. You know, when you're looking mm-hmm. at uh, July 3rd, 1863, you know, that was a, obviously a, a multi-page uh, uh, of notes there. And then other days, you know, I was, I was lucky to find, you know, even what the weather was for, mm. for other days. Yeah, I, I, do, I would say I do the same thing. I There are all kinds of note-taking software out there that I've been reading about for years. I've never used any of it. I, Microsoft Word works fine to... Just keep track of things. Uh, so you mentioned some of the sources uh, you use. Lee himself never wrote memoirs, but right. some of his aides did, some of his, his generals did. Um, were, were there any that were particularly useful or any that, that, that were maybe less useful than you thought they were going to be? Uh, the useful ones, Walter Taylor, who was Lee's longest-serving aide, he was with them for all but about the, the first two or three weeks of the war. Mm-hmm. His stuff is a gold mine. He wrote two books uh, that were published uh, about his uh, Civil War uh, experiences, and then he also, he was a, a very detailed letter writer, and he would uh, write letters back, most of them to his fiance, but some to his sister, uh, usually two times a week, sometimes more than that, just depending on how much time he had. And he was a very observant guy, and it, it, any of his letters, just pick a random letter, there, there's going to be some good stuff in there that, that he will be the only source for. Uh, unfortunately, his fiance, uh, for the first year and a half of the war, she would read them and then burn them. Uh, so we, we lose his insight for the really the, the least documented part of, of Lee's time, the West Virginia, well, starting off the, the first uh, few months of the war and then the West Virginia campaign and then his time. Uh, down on the South Atlantic coast uh, in West Virginia for a time, but he and Taylor, Lee and Taylor were the only ones there. Uh, so yeah, Taylor is a he's a fantastic source. Uh, Charles Venable, who was another of Lee's aides, he started to write his memoirs. He didn't finish them, but they've never been published. Um, they're sitting at uh, in the archives at uh, UVA. Uh, that's that's going to be my my uh, one of my upcoming projects is to publish that. But. Uh-huh. Uh, here again, just like Taylor, he's, there's stuff in, in his writings, in his memoirs, and in his letters that's nowhere else. Uh, 
quite a few uh, instances that are that are very unlee-like, shall we say. Venable was the only one uh, to record. Uh, most of his staff left either a written memoir or papers or something. There's very few of them that did not leave any kind of a, a paper trail of their time on Lee's uh, uh, staff. Um, but surprisingly, uh, when you get to some of the you know his top lieutenants, you know Longstreet stuff, you know it's pretty much worthless when it comes to the type of detail that I was looking for. Uh, early, Jubal Early is one of the more valuable uh, uh, memoirs that's out there, but really I didn't find as much in the uh, the top lieutenant papers as I, as I thought I might. Uh, and uh, kind of makes sense that uh, Lee's staff was, was really the, the go-to sources uh, when you're looking at his, his military family. Of course, his, uh, his wife and, and his own children as well uh, were great sources of information. So, I mean, you mentioned Venable's draft memoirs not being published, and you, you, you got those from archives. Was there uh, – talk about the archival research, the, the stuff you, you found that people haven't looked at uh, before. The Venable stuff, uh, some of his things have been gone through, but his stuff is, is kind of spread out. There's a collection mm-hmm. of his papers, and then there's a collection of his wife's papers. And that's where the really good stuff mm. is, is in his wife's papers. I don't think anybody has ever used that. I, I could be wrong, but I've never seen some of the uh, things that he records written about anywhere else. Um, so, um, and you, you never know what you're going to find. Um, <laughs> then trying to uh, uh, to go backwards, you know, uh, I went through some of uh, Douglas Freeman's papers, Burke Davis's papers, a couple of other uh, historians who have written about, uh, about Lee and found some stuff in their notes and their research uh, materials that they never used. Uh, you know, it's kind of outside the scope of what they were they were doing, but it was great detail for this project. Uh, one of the things that I particularly loved about Freeman, he kept a, uh, a, a legal pad of every reference that he could find in the Richmond newspapers to Lee during the war. And, you know, that's something mm-hmm. that's almost impossible to do today, even with the Internet and, you know, the... the search feature, you know, when you keep in mind he was doing this back in the 20s and 30s, you know, he found stuff that you still can't find online today. So uh, I stand in awe of, of what Freeman managed to accomplish in his research. Well, that, that as I said in the introduction, his four volumes are, you know, the gold standard in terms of Lee studies and, and have been since he wrote them. But a lot of new stuff has come out. Are, were there any things you found that, that where you thought this really revises or even contradicts something that Freeman wrote or that we generally believe? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of uh, minor things. You know, when you when you go through Freeman's four volumes or through uh, Lee's lieutenants, I found several instances where he got the date of things wrong. You know, it's nothing major, but, you know, when you're doing a day-by-day study, it is, it is pretty major <laughs> from my yeah. point of view, but not so much uh, for, for his purposes. But um, there's a couple of uh, major things. I don't want to give the, the big one away, but uh, one of the uh, things that I found that I don't think anybody else has ever found, uh, during the Kilpatrick Dalgan raid, Lee was in Richmond when that started, and he was, as soon as Walter Taylor sent word to him that there was a Yankee cavalry raid, Lee wanted to get back to Orange, back to the Army as soon as possible. And he took a... a train on the Virginia Central Railroad from Richmond to Orange, I actually found a very, very detailed letter from the guy that sat next to Lee 
on that train ride from Richmond back to Orange. And it, it just describes Lee's demeanor. And at the time, the guy couldn't figure out what Lee was so nervous about and why he was constantly getting up and looking out the windows. But then when they got to Orange and, you know, they learned that there was a Union Cavalry nearby that had very nearly captured that train, it, it, you know, it, it clicked. It made sense then why Lee was behaving the way he, like, the way that he was. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some uh, pretty cool things that I found that I don't think anybody else had, and definitely not, uh, definitely not Freeman, but... Uh, um, here again, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, Venable recorded one instance uh, about Lee at the Battle of Sharpsburg that if Freeman had found it, uh, who knows how he would have reacted? It it, it <laughs> definitely flies in the face of uh, everything that uh, that Lee or that excuse me that uh, that Freeman uh, thought about uh, about Lee. Well, I, I I will say my own guess is the more. Uh, uh, the more clues you drop, the more people will will buy the book to read the rest. Uh, uh, they'll, exactly. they'll be hungry for more. So if, uh, don't be shy about uh, sharing things. They'll be people. It won't. People won't say, "Oh, I, that's great stuff." Now I won't buy it. Uh, they will run out. Um, I'm I'm certainly glad I've got the the PDF copy here, and look forward to. Uh, I'll have our library purchase a copy, so everybody else has one too, uh, on campus. Um, speaking of libraries. Uh, and, and finding interesting tidbits, you have a, a sort of dedication at the front of the book that says uh, uh, to the librarian who didn't believe, uh, ne- who, who could never understand that, yes, I do, in fact, really need to see the entire Lee collection. That uh, sounds like there's a story there. Yes. Uh, I don't want to say where it is, but it was one of the <laughs> major repositories that I had to frequent quite often. Uh-huh. And you... They, they're very strict about the way that they uh, uh, will release uh, research material to you in the reading room. Uh, obviously, every different repository has different uh, policies about that. Some are more lax than others. But at this particular one, you have to give the specific, uh, you know, almost down to the item level of what you want. And every time I would go in there, you know, the, several of the, the archivists there, you know, they they got to... You know, we we're almost on a first name basis, and they, mm-hmm. uh, after explaining to them what I was doing, they, you know, they understood, you know, that uh, that yes, uh, we'll, you know, as soon as you finish with this folder, we'll we'll have the next one up here, ready for you. But there was this one particular archivist there, who even after I had explained it to her and several of her colleagues had explained it to her what I was working on and you know why I had this massive uh, request for materials, she was. The, the well-oiled machine stopped there <laughs> whenever it was her shift at the at the research desk. And uh, whenever I would say, I need the next folder, you know, she would come back with uh, uh, some kind of uh, response. Well, why do you need that? <laughs> that? That was one of the questions that always came up every time that I'd deal with her was, why do you need that? Well, really, it's none of your business I, why I need that. Well, I, I don't know until I've seen it. Yeah, that's the whole point of research is, is we don't know yeah. what we're going to find. Uh, well, that, that uh, it, it, there there are people in all walks of life who will will do things that way, I suppose. Um, yeah. Let me ask from a different standpoint: uh, Who do you see as the audience for uh, a volume like this? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's it's definitely you know with the with the day to day approach here, it, it definitely has uh, research value, reference value for. 
uh, I would think and hope anybody that's uh, writing about Lee or the campaigns uh, of the Army in Northern Virginia or any of the others, you know, West Virginia, South Atlantic Coast, anywhere else that he was uh, involved in. Uh, but also, I've tried to give it kind of a, a general appeal as well. I mean, when you're writing a reference book, you know, obviously, you know, it's not going to be all that readable. But uh, for each month, I provided kind of an introductory uh, essay, not really the word, but a, an introductory section as to, to what's going on that month in terms of what Lee is doing, kind of a foreshadowing uh, to, to try and put the, uh, the individual daily entries into context. And also, one thing that I found, there, there's a lot of stuff that I cannot pin down in the exact day. I could put it to a month or a, a span of several days. So things like that I covered in the, the introductory uh, sections there. So hopefully, and a lot of the feedback I've received is that the, a lot of folks, they, they appreciate those introductory sections there. You know, it's for folks who might not be as familiar with the war or with Lee, you know, hopefully that, that provides a little bit of uh, uh, context there to, to help uh, both seasoned and uh, uh, relative uh, newcomers to the war along as they're reading. Well, I, you said you know it's a reference book. It's not one you just sit down and read. But I will take a little issue with that because I I had that impression when I started going through this and looking at it. I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to read all 600 pages. It's, it's a reference book. I'll I'll read a few here and a few there. And I started reading, and it does have a quality. Uh, I mean, you're there with Lee, and and you read a week. And say, okay, I'll read one more week and see what happens next. And you read that week. Okay, I'll read. I'll read the next month and just see. I know next month is the Battle of So and So. I know about that. I'll read what happens there. And the next thing you know, you're you're just turning page after page. Uh, so I, I I don't want listeners to get the wrong idea that this is like a you know like reading the dictionary or something. Uh, I found it quite absorbing to. Uh, to get into and, and to to follow Lee's story, uh, in, in you know one page after another. I also found it interesting that there's really two parallel books going here. You have uh, your your narrative of what Lee is doing, and then you've got extensive footnotes on each page, and they're they're right there on the page. They're footnotes. Uh, readers, uh, at least, well, I can't speak for all readers, but boy, I sure appreciate not having to turn to the back to end notes. Yeah. Uh, but having the footnotes right there on the page. And in those notes, you give this almost parallel story where you say Lee was here in the narrative. Then in the footnotes, we learn, well, so-and-so said this, but this other letter said this, and uh, Freeman believes this, and, and uh, here here are the different possibilities. So you leave it for us, the for the reader, to help figure out what, what actually happened. And it... Where there's a dispute, and boy, in history, there's always dispute. Uh, did you mean to really write two separate books that way? No, it just kind of just kind of happened that way. Uh, uh, I'm always one where you know the, and I think most historians are like this. You know, you'll always find more information than you can put in there. Right. And with a lot of the uh, with a lot of the way I was doing stuff here. Um, a lot of times there would just be one source for something, but then for some things, you know, there would be multiple sources for it, but they didn't always agree. Um, there's a, a prime example is uh, during the uh, uh, what becomes the Second Manassas Campaign, and Lee goes up 
to Clark's Mountain sometime. Nobody can agree on when he went up there. So that's uh, that's one of the things, you know, that, that's tackled in, in the footnotes is, you know, if there are conflicting sources, like you say, about when something may have happened. Uh, also, if I mention somebody in passing uh, and it's not a household name, you know, like Jeb Stewart, and, you know, not going to explain who he is. Uh, but some folks, you know, like a, a banker in Richmond or an official with the Kanawha Canal or the, the railroad official, you know, I'll explain uh, usually in, in one sentence, sometimes too, who that person is and why they're important. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Um, the, the the footnotes have been described by uh, one of my uh, uh, historian buddies as Freeman esque, which I, I took as quite the compliment. <laughs> it's a compliment. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, in some cases, you know, the, there's more meat to the footnotes than there is to the the actual text on the page. So yeah, it's uh, and. I'm one that always reads the footnotes, you know, and like you say, I, I can't stand flipping to the back for endnotes. Um, and I, I just find footnotes, you know, a, a great way to put more information in there. And uh, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Ted said when uh, I was talking to him about this book, Ted Sowes, uh, he said, this is the most uh, readable reference book you'll ever find. So, uh, yeah, like you were saying, it, it's very easy to, to get caught up in the uh, uh, in what you're reading here, even though it, it is, you know, kind of an almanac uh, style, but it, it's, and also I, I wrote it in the present tense to try and give it a little bit more urgency, isn't the word, but to make it more like you're there, uh, you know, most, uh, like E.B. Long, and I think the uh, 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 the Lincoln Day by Day, I think was written in the past tense, and that, I was trying to, to get away from that. Uh, that's, part of that is my museum background, you know, trying to make people feel, you know, like you're actually experiencing things as you're as you're reading it there. That, and that's a challenge to get away with. I know I, I tend to uh, slap the wrist of students who want to write their history in the present tense. I will point out this happened 150 years ago. Let's use the past tense. But given the what you're doing, uh, it makes perfect sense uh, to use the present tense because this is the nature of this kind of reference. I want to ask you about Lee's family next, but we're going to take a short break first. We'll come back in just a moment and talk more with our guest tonight, Charlie R. Knight. He's the author of From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War, Day by Day, 1861 to 1865. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Charlie Knight, author of From Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War Day by Day, 1861 to 1865, uh, Charlie, one of the things that comes out of this book of, of reading what Lee is doing every day is that he's not spending every day leading the Army of Northern Virginia. He's got other things on his mind as well that don't often show up in, in standard campaign histories. Uh, for example, dealing with his family, that, that really stood out to me as I, I looked through this, how many, uh, how often that becomes a, a, I don't know if distraction is the right word, but uh, uh, was was that something that struck you as you were compiling this? Yeah, I was definitely not expecting to, to see as much uh, family interaction uh, going on as there turned out to be. Um, and you used the word distraction. That That's really not that far from, <laughs> from being right, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, his wife caused him a lot of unnecessary heartburn throughout the war. Uh, she had to leave Arlington first week of May of 1861, and she would never settle down anywhere, even though Lee tried to get her, you know, repeatedly to to pick a spot and settle down and, and, you know, uh, uh, set down roots, and she would never do that. Uh, He actually wanted her to come to to Raleigh, North Carolina, because he figured that was about as far out of the way of the war as she could possibly be. But for whatever reason, she did not do that. She led this nomadic lifestyle throughout the war, just bouncing from relative's house to relative's house to friend's house to I don't know who you are's house, and just constantly up until uh, 1864 when she finally settled down in Richmond. And it cost him a lot of grief not knowing where she was sometimes and being worried about her safety. And uh, she, on the, the other side of that... She never really seemed to grasp that there was a war going on and that Lee had an important part to play in it because in her letters to him, she's constantly nagging him that he doesn't write often enough. And it, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it, it's interesting, the, the dynamic between the two of them and then how different it is, the, the relationship that he has between all of his, uh, all of his children. Uh, of course, the uh, the three boys are in the Army, so he sees them quite frequently. Uh, but the, the girls... You know, each one of them had a, a very distinct personality, and, and you could see his how his relationship with them uh, varied in his letters to them. And uh, 
like you say, it's it's something that, that really goes on behind the scenes, and you, you don't see the effect that it has on the military movements. And a, a prime example of that, about a month after Sharpsburg, in the latter half of October of 62, when the Army of Northern Virginia is in the lower Shenandoah Valley uh, trying to recover from its, uh, its Maryland campaign losses, his daughter Annie dies of typhoid fever down here in, in North Carolina suddenly. And uh, that was, you know, that was a... a shot in the dark there you know that, that was you know he was totally not expecting that and uh that that really hit him and that's one of the uh things we have walter taylor as a witness to his reaction when he got that letter that was one of the one of if not the only time that uh, the taylor saw lee break down in tears during the war was when he got that letter from mary about their daughter's death mm. yeah it, it, it's really a human picture and and this uh this day-by-day approach allows that to come out and to see just how much lee had to attend to these these personal things uh what about lee's health did you get a different view of that by by looking at him day by day oh yeah absolutely um it's interesting uh for the about the first uh year and a half two years of the war he's really doing what he had done in the mexican war he's out there you know doing personal reconnaissance by himself. Uh, you know, he wants to see the ground with his own eyes. You know, he wants to to know the terrain that his army is going to fight on or move across. And then he suffers what's probably a heart attack in uh, April of 1863, and it's, it, it probably came close to killing him because he was uh, put on bed rest. He was sent into a house. That's one thing about Lee. He liked to live out under canvas. He liked to stay in his tent. He did not like to live indoors. He wanted to share the hardships of the men in his army. Uh, so when he moves inside, you know there's something wrong with him. Uh, and he had to, to move inside for a period of about two and a half weeks there for the uh, latter half of, uh, of April 1863. He was not allowed any contact, well, hardly any contact with the army the doctors told him straight up, uh, your job, sir, is to get well, not to concern yourself with military affairs. Uh, so he, you know, headquarters did not move with him. Uh, Jackson was running the Army for that uh, two-and-a-half, three-week period there. And he was, towards the end of it, it was driving Lee nuts. He was going stir-crazy. He <laughs> wanted to get back to headquarters, but the doctors wouldn't let him go. And then after that, he's never the same. He's not out in the field uh, doing these personal recons anymore. And then during the uh, during May of '64, during the Overland campaign, mm-hmm. he's getting you know maybe four hours of sleep a night. His health fails him again. He suffers some kind of breakdown at the North Anna uh, there uh, around the, the 20, 20, what twenty fourth or so of, uh, of May of '64, and he's uh, he's confined to his tent, and uh, the the army is really left leaderless at that point with uh, with him. Uh, down ill and uh, the rest of the senior leadership either uh, wounded or dead at that point. The, the North Anna, you know, we really have a, a leaderless Army of Northern Virginia there. Um, and towards the end, you know, and that's another thing about Lee. He, he won't often complain in his letters about his health. So when he mentions that he doesn't feel well, you know he doesn't feel well. And yeah. he would tell Mary at, at some point, I don't remember when it was, but I remember reading this in a couple of letters, probably 64 sometime, that he'd never fully recovered from that probable heart attack in, in April of 63. And he was just, he was never the same. And just, you know, all throughout the Overland campaign, and then when they get to Petersburg, you can tell, you know, his, his health has failed him. He's 
you know, even though he, he was in his 50s when the war began, you know, at the beginning of the war, his age, you know, he didn't display his age. By the time they get to Petersburg, he's acting like he's older than he is. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, constantly being out in the elements and, uh, you know, the heart attack and whatever else he had going on. Poor diet was part of it as well. You know, it, it, it definitely caught up with him. So last week on the show, uh, talking with Brad Asher, who's written a, a book about uh, Stephen Burbridge, a Union commander in Kentucky, and in his book, he, he said, one of the dangers of writing something biographical is the risk of falling in love with your subject. And he said, I had no problem with that because right. Burbridge is not a very nice guy uh, and hard to get to know. He said, I didn't fall in love with him. But uh, did your perception of Lee change as you did this? Did, did strengths emerge or weaknesses emerge or your, your, your attitude toward him change as you put this project together? I don't know that my attitude toward him changed. Um, that, that's one of the big criticisms of, of Freeman is that, you know, he was mm-hmm. very given to, to hero worship there. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, he's the one that really put Lee up on a pedestal. And, you know, anybody that reads, you know, the, the four volumes comes away with that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the non-human image, you know, the, the larger-than-life Lee. Um, I don't... I don't think I'm guilty of that. I hope not. I try not to be. There, there may be some folks who disagree with me. I don't know. But I, I tried to be as impartial as possible um, and, you know, portray, you know, the Lee, Lee the man, you know, not, not Lee the, the Southern icon, you know, to, tried to, you know, present, you know, everything that there, that there was that was uh, happening during the war, you know, good and bad. Um, and that, that's something that I think is, is uh, uh, essential when you're writing this type of thing, like you say, to, mm-hmm. to stay away from the hero worship, and you know, you 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 let your research drive what you write, you know, not the other way around. You know, you don't come in with your conclusion and, and find uh, you know find the the facts and evidence to back up what what you want to say. You know, you, you let your, your research take you where it leads, and that's exactly. uh, that's what I tried to do here. I I hope I was successful. Well. And along that line, you know, we're living in this extraordinary time as, as, as public historians when the public's interest in history and its, uh, uh, its what's the word, its use of history, uh, not just for intellectual or entertainment value, but for, for political purposes as well, has really changed the way things were from, from even 10 years ago. Um, how, how did it affect your project as you're going to see the the view of Lee changing among parts of the public, the, the controversy around Lee monuments and so on. Um, I mean, you had to be aware of it as you're writing. Oh, what sure. was your, yeah, your thought absolutely. about that? Uh, I don't, I mean, it's, it's probably it, not it, the best time for this book to come out, <laughs> in all honesty, but... Uh, you know that that's you know out of uh, out of my control, out of the publisher's control. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, interesting uh, uh, to say the least. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, stuff that's coming out about Lee right now that is just trying to take advantage of the uh, uh, the the political sentiment and the popular sentiment right now. Mm-hmm. That you know. I certainly would not qualify it as, as scholarship, and uh, right. it'll be interesting to see several years down the road how uh, some of those titles are, are actually uh, treated, you know, in mm-hmm. hindsight. 
Well, I, I remember my graduate advisor telling me, you don't need your book to be the first one on the topic. You just want it to be the best one on the topic. And, right. uh, you know, it, it, like you said, I hear what you're saying. It, it, it's, it must have been awkward for your book to come out at this time because there are people taking advantage, writing either, uh, you know, polemical attacks on Lee or polemical defenses of Lee that are tied to the political moment and not to the scholarship. And, and obviously your book started long before all that and, and is not part of that. Uh, but the casual viewer just says, oh, Savas Beatty's doing a Lee book. I wonder what that's... Um, you know they they don't would not recognize that this has been in process for many years and uh, right. is is a serious serious contribution to the literature. Um, so I, I I I'm confident your book will outlive all this and and will can will be read by people for many many years to come. Let me ask you: I have just a couple minutes left. Uh, the the Civil War time machine, the Civil War talk radio time machine question. If you could go back. To the Civil War era for 30 minutes, and talk to someone other than Robert E. Lee, who'd be your natural choice. Um, who, who that you've encountered? Who would you like to spend 30 minutes with? Uh, oh boy, it's hard to pick just one. Um, I think Charles Venable is one for sure, but I don't know that that would be a very enjoyable experience. Uh, Venable <laughs> strikes me as, as being a uh, rather socially uh, awkward and inept <laughs> fellow. He was, he was one of these guys, he was kind of like Sheldon, you know, he was, he was brilliant, <laughs> but he didn't know how to function in society, and, uh, you know, he didn't have a filter. Uh, and that's why he and Lee butted heads so often, and I think that's why he's so honest a lot of times in his assessments uh, about Lee when he's writing to his wife or, uh, or in his memoirs. So I, I think it would definitely be interesting to pick his brain, uh, but kind of not necessarily related to this project, but uh, Billy Mahone would be the other one. I'm working on a, uh, a bio of, of Mahone currently, and I'd definitely like to uh, uh, sit down and, and uh, uh, have a chat with him and, uh, and also bring the man a typewriter through, the, uh, through your time machine there because uh, uh-huh. reading his handwriting is, is you know, trying to, like trying to <laughs> decipher a, a doctor's prescription, uh, you know, uh, thousands of, of pages worth of it but uh, yeah I, I think those two would be at the top of my list well, so that actually was my last question about your next project Mahone uh, I mean what a character you know, fought at the crater had a, had a fascinating post-Civil War career as well are you going to write about just the Civil War or is his whole career probably going to wind up being focused just on his military career. Uh, the, the one bio of him that's out there now really focuses on his political career, and that, mm-hmm. that's something that uh, doesn't interest me as much and I don't uh-huh. know as much about. So I, uh, I kind of look at that as a kind of a, a, a two volumes, but written you know 80 years apart by two different people type of biography, because uh, that bio covers the war years in, in under 25 pages. and uh, uh, So there's plenty uh, of room the, for the, more. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, okay. we will look forward to that. And when it comes out, you'll have to come back in the show. We'll talk about it. Uh, we've been talking tonight with Charlie Knight. He's the author of From App- uh, from Arlington to Appomattox, Robert E. Lee's Civil War, Day by Day, 1861 to 1865. It is a magnificent new reference and readable, too. Listeners, you'll enjoy it. I recommend it. And, Charlie, thanks for being on Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks for having me. And, listeners, as always, 
Thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.